This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street, directed by Wes Craven. But first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. I think we all have the same life update here. Um, obviously, there's a global pandemic going on. Yeah, there's a. This will change our life forever, like yeah. as we know it, realistically, in the world, in the global economy, and we're all living through it right now. That's um, so. It's wild. Uh, B and I both work at Starbucks, and they have decided to suspend the business of our locations for at least two weeks, but it's probably a month at both. So we are on. Quarantine for a month, and we are two days into that. Um, so our plan is to record quite a few of these actually, so we can kind of get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So when life gets crazy afterwards, because I anticipate life to be just as crazy after trying to figure out what is happening. Um, I mean, this is, I think we've talked about it on the show, like I'm moving to Southern California later this year, and this has thrown my move back. Um, this has just been a very interesting, complicated thing for everyone, obviously. And uh, most importantly, I just hope you're all staying safe and um, isolating and self-quarantining and not going out. And when you are, practice social distancing, obviously. Um, uh, you know, just like I said, like, I think if everyone does their part, this isn't something to panic about. But as of right now, that hasn't been happening, which is why we're in the circumstance that we're in. Uh, so I just hope you're all staying safe and are watching a bunch of horror movies along with us. Um, we're going to try to do a couple more live tweets while we have the time, the ability. So that'd be fun. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess, you know, just kind of a weird thing. And obviously like B put my pop culture check in cause she just goes on my letterbox and takes on the movies. And the list was like 20 movies. Uh, cause we're all just sitting around doing not nothing, but like we just have a lot more time than what you're than we're used to so i think that's another thing that changes is like oh that's a lot of movies in there yeah so yep uh so just be safe everyone um for me i like i said i watched a lot of movies i've been doing i've only been in this like for two days but before it happened i was actually out of work for three days because they were worried at strep throat so i was also like out of work for three days so i only went to back back to work for two days before it happened same i've been off work all week just happenstance and so i'm really like 
seven days into this. Yeah, I feel like I'm like a yeah. week into it at this point. So I have been like doing a lot of just a lot of things. So obviously watching a lot of movies, but um, I'm trying to write a lot more lately. I've been doing like flash fiction, which you can actually find. I have a separate website, ryanscribbles.com, and you can find that there. Um, and then I'm doing some more stuff for Bloody Disgusting on my own website, Ghastly Grinning. Um, and just like, uh, I don't, I can't just sit there and consume movies and television as much as I love them. So a mo like music, obviously, and books are big components of both B and I's lives. So I think those are, you'll probably hear a little more of both of those now on the next couple episodes. Um, I did finish The Lost Causes of Bleak Creek, which was written by Rhett and Link from Good Mythical Morning, uh, which is, a, I think, a daily talk show that they do. Yeah, it's a... I mean, they do one million things, but Good Mythical Morning is a daily, like... Are they going still? Somewhat talk show of... I actually don't... I don't know. Yeah, I'm, with this? I don't know. Trying to, yeah. I don't... They might not be. I haven't, I haven't checked. Um, I haven't seen their uploads. Um, we usually watch them. That's a good, good thought. I didn't even think about that. Like, I haven't seen them post a video. So I'm assuming they're not posting right now. Yeah. Um, they might, must be on hiatus. But normally they post a YouTube Good Mythical Morning every single um, work day. Um, and then they have like seasons like any other talk show. And then they also have like extra mythical morning where they do sort of like other things and it's like less formal. Um, and one of their producers kind of like hosts it. They also have a podcast, ear um, ear, yeah, something ear muffs or something. I don't know. It's some, pun. they do a ton of shit. They do yeah. a ton of that shit. They go on tour yeah. and like play music, like comedic music. And those guys are just... Yeah. They're just doing a million they're things. They're workhorses. They yeah. are. And they're uh, super talented. They're hella talented. Really funny. Yeah. I actually, so B's husband, Ben, um, if you're not a long-time listener, we talk about how, like, we watch TV and movies and Ben watches YouTube. Yes. And that's, like, one of the things that I've actually come to really appreciate when I'm over. Like, especially when Liam was younger and B had to, like, breastfeed a lot or, like, like stay in the nursery with him, like, trying to get him to go to sleep, Ben and I would just be out on the couch for, like, sometimes, like, an hour. Yeah. So, like... Ben is very, um, like, thoughtful when it comes to that stuff, and he knows not everyone just wants to sit around and watch YouTube, so he, like, found out the shows I liked, and so we'd watch, like, a bunch of Good Mythical Warning. But that's why I picked the book up, because I was like, oh, I really like these guys, and the book is, like, a YA, like, mystery, like, um, kind of, like, a lot of people were describing it as, like, uh, Stranger Things or Twin Peaks, but in the South, because they also grew up in the South, and there's definitely a lot lifted from their own life. Um... I, if you're into like YA stuff, I definitely suggest picking it up. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a really easy read. Um, uh, it's about two, well, three best friends, and it's two boys and a girl. They both have a crush on her, obviously, and she gets sent to this like boarding school where like weird stuff is happening, and they're trying to fit like so. It's from all three of their perspectives. Each chapter kind of switches, and then there's also like an adult character who is in town visiting her grandmother and she's like a film student and she's trying to make a movie and she kind of stumbles across it and joins forces to figure out what the mystery is. Um, but it's like breezy. Um, and it's actually, it does get like a little darker than I anticipated and, uh, it gets like really, it like two thirds of the way through the book, it takes like a sharp left turn that is a really interesting hook and I'm not going to spoil it, but, um, definitely worth checking out. Uh, I, like I said, I watched a bunch of movies, obviously, like I watched Frozen 2 because I went up on Disney Plus, but that's some B's, so we'll talk about it then. Um, 
before I jump into the movies, Childish Gambino and The Weeknd both dropped new albums. Gambino, I'm a I'm a big Childish Gambino fan. He dropped it under the Donald Glover under his real name because he apparently <laughs> under the re- Donald Glover yeah, name. The Donald Glover name. He says he's retired the Gambino moniker. And on the website that he released it on, it does say Donald Glover Presents. But on Spotify, you'll find it under Gambino um, because his Donald Glover is just a stand-up. So I think they wanted to separate it. Um, but both albums, I thought, were really great. And I've been listening to them, like, all week. Um, Gambino's, he th- he put it up for a day and took it down. And then it went up officially yesterday because he's weird. Um, but his album's very, like, experimental. And it sounds like a lot of, like, world music. So it's a lot more kind of in between this is america and summertime magic it's like right in between there um it's not as soulful as awaken my love um but those have both been really good and i've been listening to those a lot when i write because they're really like obviously like beat heavy and um rhythm heavy and i like that when i when i'm writing so both worth checking out um I watched Villains, which is uh, Micah Monroe from It Follows and The Guest, and um, I think it's Bill Skarsgård. Is that who plays Pennywise? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's both of them, and then also Jeffrey Donovan from um, Burn Notice and Kira Sedgwick from The Closer. Um, and it's about it's about these two people who break into someone's home and then they kind of find out that the home they broke into, um, like the people who own the home are a little more malicious than even they are. Um, and they, Oh, I remember seeing the trailers. Yeah. And they, it's, but it's like a very dark comedy. It's, but what really, the reason why it's better than it should be is because of the actors in it. Um, all four of them are incredibly talented. Yeah. Um, and um, Skarsgård and Monroe both are just like firing on all cylinders in this movie. Um, and then Kira Sedgwick and Jeffrey Donovan get to play kind of like against type for like, you know, they're normally both like usually like hero type characters. And then this, they're playing kind of like off kilter villains, which is a lot of fun to watch. Um, another one I checked out is the room, not the, not the room that everyone knows, but um, Shudder put up a new movie called the room. Um, with oh, what's I can't remember her name now. It's it's Russian and I can never pronounce it. Um, and it's got the guy from Revenge in it too. Though like the final like he's the boyfriend in that movie, the one that lives all the way until the end. Olga Kurylenko and then Kevin Jensen's. Um, it's really interesting. It's about these this couple that moves into this house and they're like um, he's an artist, kind of like a struggling artist, and they move in this house and it's like. It's a project home. Like, it's a really nice house, but it's definitely, like, dilapidated, which is why they can afford it. And they find this room in the house where you go in the room and you wish for something and it generates that wish for you. And so at first they're just, like, indulging and it's, like, a bunch of money. And, like, he's an artist, so he's wishing for, like, Van Gogh's and Monet's and and then, like, a lot of drugs and alcohol. Um, but then, like, you find out that, she, like, either she's barren or he's um, impotent and she wishes for a child. And, like, things get really interesting and, and like, dark from there. Um, it's about 20 minutes too long. I remember at one point I was like, how can this movie still be 40 more minutes? And then, like, they threw in another twist. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. But then, like, still, I think it's just a little too long. But it is um, it is really interesting and really well done. And uh, it's on Shudder. And right now Shudder is free for 30 days with the code SHUTIN. So um, definitely worth checking out. And then the last one I, wa- I just want to touch on, I finally watched Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which I had never seen before. Um, Maybe and, I've never seen it. Yeah, and it's obviously, like, a very well-known 
horror mm-hmm. movie and kind of movie in general. Like it's, it was one of the video nasties. I think you know, like it's definitely very. It had an X rating. Um, it is one hundred percent one of those movies that you're like, that was really well made. It was really well acted. I will never ever watch it again because holy shit, is it dark and bleak? Mm. Um, it is really hard to watch. Like still in, it's pretty old at this point. Um, and like, it's just one of those movies that even the 1986, it was made before I was born. Um, but in spite of like how, of its age, it remains just as pointed and like disturbing as it was when it was made. If maybe even not more so Michael Rooker's in it. Um, he's, he plays Henry and he is very, very scary in it. Um, yeah, it's like I said, it's uh, that's also on Shed right now, which is why I watched it. And it's just one of those movies that like everyone, all the horror people know, and almost ever, it's 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 just funny because like there's these movies that exist in the horror world that like everyone knows, but like we all watch the you know the nightmares and the the Fridays and like all these movies over and over and over again. The screams, the cabin in the woods, trick or treats, and then there's like this group of movies that everyone's like. Oh, it's a great movie. Like, awesome horror movie. I'm never going to watch it again. Like, Martyrs is one. It's not like people just throw on Martyrs for fucking fun, you know? And this is definitely one of those movies that I'm just like, yeah, really well made, really well done. Will not be watching this again, like, anytime soon, if ever. Um, So, if you're a completionist, I guess, worth checking out. Like, if you want to check it off your box, it is well done. It's just like... Make sure I watched it like mid afternoon, like bright and cheery day, because I was like, I can't watch this like late at night or like when I'm like depressed because I know it will not be good for me. So I made sure I was in like the right state of mind before going into it. The one thing it's eighty eight minutes, so you, you like you breeze through it, which is nice because um, it's too heavy to last any longer than that. But that was uh, that was the last one I'll touch on before B goes on to hers. And I mean, I've watched a bunch more. Um, you can. I realize that we talk about Letterboxd all the time, but I don't think we've told them our usernames. Um, and I don't know why. This is Ryan Scribbles. Okay, yeah, so Ryan Scribbles. If you want to follow me on Letterboxd, then that way you can... I review. I log... Every, I don't review anything. I log everything I watch in mm-hmm. real time mm-hmm. ever since B showed me how. Um, yeah, and then my user username, yeah? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, is B, not B. So B-E-E, not B-E-A. Um, and I... I mean, I wouldn't call them reviews, but I'll make comments on the films that I watch, um, and then I log things. I'm, like, forever better you can't log TV, though, because, as I talk about all the time, I'm way more up in the TV world, and I would like to be able to keep track of, especially, like, episodes and, like, see where I've left off on shows. Mm -hmm. Um, But, no, Letterboxd doesn't let you do that, so whatever. But when I do watch movies you will find them on there. Otherwise, I will never remember that I've watched them. I mainly started doing it for this show so I could remember what I watched for a pop culture check-in. Yeah, I just really wanted to remember what I've seen because there's a lot of times where I see stuff and then, like, there are even times where I go back to watch something like, I've seen this before. No, that's my favorite. Uh, Like, having getting older just gives you just the most wonderful perspective on your parents, especially when you become a parent yourself. But... We used to go to the video store. That was like a big thing with my mom and I. Very big bonding thing. She's a single mom. It was just the two of us for most of my life. And we'd go to the video store every weekend and we'd get five movies for $5. 
and she would rent things and then we'd get home and she'd put it in and she'd be like, I've already seen this. And like in my mind, I was like, how is that possible? How in the world have you forgotten that you watched this movie? Like saw the box cover like it's even a little bit different in a video store than it is streaming like read the back of it saw the actor was like yeah I definitely want to watch this starts it has no memory of ever watching it until it starts and then she's like oh yeah I think I've definitely seen this that's happened to me a few times recently it I've done it twice with the movie Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman interesting I've watched it watched it again and then halfway through I was like I've seen this before and then started it again and got about 20 minutes in it and I was like I've not seen this, this time. before it's like nice cry prisoners I just did it with Jersey Girl I think I had went so long without seeing that movie mm. that I had watched it somewhat recently like in the last probably five years or so and then I just saw it on HBO the other night. I'm like, oh, yeah, I really do need to watch that. And then I started it. I'm like, I've seen this. Like, I for sure have seen this movie. And I had, like, completely forgotten watching it until I was a good, like, 20 minutes into it. And I was like, I've seen this already. Um, yeah, it's funny. How do we even get on that topic? Um, uh, oh, Letterboxd. Oh, Letterbox. So, yeah, now we're trying to avoid that problem because if I wanted to, I could look it up and be like, have I watched this and what did I think of it? Um, I watched um, a few things. So um, I have Disney Plus and been watching a ton of stuff on there. Um, but two new things I watched were the live action Dumbo that came out last year um, with um, Colin... Colin Farrell. Farrell and Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. And uh, it's hella sad. Like, Dumbo the cartoon's hella sad, but it's kind of so, like, fantastic and fantasy-like and I feel like takes less time to get happy as this one does. This one's fucking bleak as shit and so sad it's gorgeous. I love Colin Farrell so much. I think he's very underrated, very well acted, but fuck, this movie doesn't get happy until like, I don't know, the last like 20 minutes, kind of, not really. It's also still depressing even when it gets happy. I just, man, it was well done. Tim Burton, like truly, I love just the way he creates worlds. Um, it's like no other. But that movie's fucking sad as shit. Yeah, but also... With, like, no relief. No, super sad. And also, my one gripe, what accent was Michael Keaton doing ever? Oh, yeah. It switched to, like, every scene. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. And, like, I obviously think... I mean, I love Michael Keaton. Yeah. But I was just like, what is this? Like, what's happening here? Yeah. That was my one gripe. But other than that, I thought it's like you said, really well done. Super fucking depressing. Yeah. There's just, like, there was no... Most of the time... I mean, Disney's famous for having really fucking sad stories, right? There's usually some relief, and there's no relief in this. It's just hit after hit after hit. Mm -hmm. Whew. It was a lot. Um, so, you know, watch that if you want to. <laughs> but then, on a higher note, I watched Frozen 2, and holy moly, was that movie fantastic. Yeah. Guys. Yeah, yeah it was and I talked so about it. good. Like, I didn't see it when it came out. Um, I didn't really see any movies in theaters last year. Um, you know, hashtag baby. And so Disney Plus was like, hey, fucking coronavirus, like, here's your Frozen 2 three months early. 
and instantly, like, Ben and I were, like, getting down, like, settling down to, like, watch a movie. I think we had already had one picked out. And we started it, and then he's like, oh, wait, I have to turn this off. I'm like, wait, why? He's like, don't worry, you're going to be happy. And I hadn't, like, seen the news, and then all of a sudden, I was like, frozen? I was like, wait, is this frozen, too? It was so good. So good that I, like, a couple days later, I was, like, ready to watch it again. Um... And I've been listening to the soundtrack, like, nonstop. I think it's just everything the first one was, but so much better. Um, the animation is just ridiculous. Like, I I replied to somebody on Twitter, and I was like, I feel like the animators were literally like, what are really, really hard things to animate? Let's make the entire movie about that. Yeah, like, like fucking the water forest and the and, wind blowing yeah. through. And, and the fire. ocean. I mean, they do the, all, all the seasons. Elements, yeah. yeah, it's that shit. Um, the songs are fantastic. The story's great. It's just, it's I, really, really, like, five stars. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and I think the characters, we know them now, and so there's not as much as, like, breaking them in. They're, they're nestled into yeah. who they are already, which I think helps with the story a lot. Um, and like I told you, like, I feel like they didn't dumb it down, like, it's a really weird myth, like mythos. Yeah. And like, there was even a point where I'm watching, I'm like, wait, so what the fuck is happening? And then like, it all makes sense eventually. Yeah. But like for a minute, I was just like, I don't understand what the fuck is going on in this movie. Yeah, I was confused. Like, I was uh, confused too. I like, wasn't quite sure where they're going. I'm like, wait, why are they here? Like, wait, how are these people? Like, there's like, yeah, just a lot going on. Kind of time travel stuff, kind of not, kind of other realms just a it, lot of it dives stuff. way more into magic than the first one does yes because the first one's all about elsa discovering or not discovering but like really harnessing her powers and this is like she has full control and she's interacting with other magic yeah yeah and it creates some really cool action scenes it pretty dope guys yeah it was like very epic i felt yeah, like. yeah. super epic which yeah. i think the trailers what i the joy of the trailers for Frozen 2, and I loved it, is because they could get away with it. People were going to go fucking see the movie, yep. right? Like, Frozen was a phenomenon. It was massive. Even the five years it took for Frozen 2 to come out, right? Yeah. Um, I think, what, 2012? 2013 to 19. Uh-huh. Yeah, five so, years. Yeah. So the five years it took for it to come out, people like Elsa... Anna still massive Olaf still massive I just bought an Olaf inflatable last Christmas to go in my yard like still big five years later so the fact that they could really just tease you with the trailer they didn't really give away any of the plot they just made I remember I think exactly those words I'm like it just looks fucking epic yeah like it looks like big time holy shit something's gonna something big's gonna happen yeah, I didn't even realize it beat the first one. Oh yeah, on score. I mean, not by a lot, but the first one made one point two billion. This one made one point four. Mm-hmm. Highest all time worldwide opening for an animated. Second highest grossing animated film of all time. Third highest grossing film of twenty nineteen. I wonder what the highest grossing animated is if it's not Frozen. Is it Lion King? Did they count that? Don't know. It's Lion King. That's what I thought. One point six. The twenty nineteen remake. Yeah. Oh yeah. lord. Yep. The live action Lion King remake animated, whatever you want to call it. Kind of crazy that the 1994 Lion King is still number 12 all time. Yeah. That was in 1994. Yeah, what? It's Disney, 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 
well, technically You don't get Pixar. tell DreamWorks till at number eight. No, Minions. Oh, Minions, number five. Yeah. Yeah. Minions made more than Toy Story 4 and 3. That kind of bums me out. I really like Despicable Me. I cannot speak to the rest of them. Also, dope that Zootopia is so high. I watch that movie like once a month. Anywho, so there's my like absolute gushing story about Frozen 2. But I just am really moved by it. And Into the Woods is a banger. It yeah. is a oh, full-blown yeah. banger. No. Right? Into oh, the yeah. Into, Into the that known. Lost yeah. in the Woods. Yeah, there you go. Lost in the Woods. They're both bangers, yeah. but Lost in the Woods is what I meant. That song's dope. And the Weezer cover, also dope. Um, Then I watched the first season of Euphoria, um, which is on HBO, and it is starring Zendaya, right? That's yep. how you say yep. her name. Um, in a much different role than, like, anybody's ever seen her in. Um, it's, I guess it's an, an Israeli show, um, but it follows, like, this girl named Rue, who is a drug addict fresh out of rehab, and it's just sort of showing her go back to high school, and it interweaves her with these other, basically other people she goes to school with, her peers, not necessarily people in her circle, but they all end up being connected, um, and she narrates it um, the whole time. And it's just a really beautiful, raw show about being a teenager and drug addiction and mental illness and um, LGBTQ issues, like anger, like all of, like, it touches on all of these things without feeling, I have a lot of issues with, like, HBO shows feeling like they do it for, like, sensation um, and they do it for shock value, and there's a lot of things in this that are very shocking, especially because it's about such young people, but it feels appropriate um, in the narrative of the story in the show, so I really appreciated that, that never felt like they were doing things for shock's sake. Um, yeah, it was just, it was beautiful. Um, I don't know the people behind it, but I also, just the way it was filmed... It's just gorgeous to look at and um, some really interesting choices. Sam Levinson created it. Who um, is that? I know that name. He's an actor. Huh. Let's see. Assassination Nation. He wrote oh, and directed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I remember. Yep. Okay. Um, so that looks like that was really his first big thing. Um. But yeah, it, I highly recommend it if you have HBO or this is a perfect time to like spend the $15 for a month or do binge. the free trial and yeah. just binge some shit. And that's definitely, HBO has a lot of really great shows. That is definitely one that is worth, I mean, I would pay $15 just to watch that and not be able to watch any other other content. Um, it was incredible. Very, very good. Um, which I'm sure most of you know because the show came out last summer and fucking everybody talked about it. But yeah. I got to stay on brand and be really late to things. Um, and then, like I talked about last episode, I, besides Twitter, I've, like, deleted my social media for the time being. And so I found that I was just wasting a ton of time on my phone for no reason. And I've read, like, four books in that time already, four or five. Um, I talked about one last week. I'll talk about one this week because I think it's sort of might interest some of you. Um, so it's called Two Can Keep a Secret. It's by an author called um, named Karen McManus. 
And um, this sort of synopsis is Echo Ridge is a small town America. Ellery's never been there, but she's heard all about it. Her aunt went missing there at age 17 and only five years ago, a homecoming queen put the town on the map when she was killed. Now Ellery has to move there to live with her grandmother she barely knows. So her aunt was murdered in this town. Her five years ago, another who was a homecoming queen five years ago another homecoming queen was murdered now um this girl ends up moving to this town and um finds herself getting nominated for homecoming queen and they all start getting threatened and another girl goes missing so it's sort of trying to figure out who's threatening the homecoming queens who is this person killing all of these girls why are they targeting homecoming queens? And it all takes place in like a small town during Halloween um, in high school. It's very like, so it's like a YA mystery, but it has like very, I know what you did feels sort of just those small town fall Halloween-y mystery vibes. So if you're into YA, um, it was a fun mystery for sure. How long until it gets adapted, do you think? Yeah, I it mean, sounds like very adaptable. It does. Yeah, yeah. it seems um, to be on like freeform soon, <laughs> right? Yeah, or like Hulu yeah. could very well be in line with Light as a Feather, which I also started. I will talk about when I finish. I've not finished it, but I think they already like season two. Um, I think season uh, season two is already out. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. I think season I, I watched the first season. It was, yeah. we'll talk about it when you're done. Yeah, yeah. Was, I'm almost done. I think yeah. I have like an episode left. It was surprisingly, like it flew under the radar. Yeah, and so far it's really surprised me, and I was disappointed that I didn't start it sooner, but I feel like it was poorly marketed. I oh, wasn't expecting yeah. it to be what it is. Yeah, super Um I feel like it was marketed, like, way different, Um, and just sort of like, oh, like, it's a fun little teen high school, like, show that's kind of related to horror, so you can watch it during Halloween, and they started it, I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, no, it's, like, like dark. This is, yeah, this is, this shit's dark, this is real, so, um probably talk about that next episode because i will have plenty of time to watch it <laughs> yeah yeah and that is and then also if you are a reader i log all my books on goodreads um oh, yeah. and so you can find me i don't i don't know how that works on goodreads um but i'm pretty sure my name is b bass under goodreads so you can find me or b bassable uh, i think your name might be that b. might be my username on there but if you search, like, my actual name, you should yeah. be able to find me. Ryan is on there, too. Yeah, I don't log anything. But I don't think I he keeps yeah. it updated. I have to. Otherwise, I'll never remember what books I want to read. Anywho. Um, yeah, so we decided to tackle one of the one of the big boys. Um, like, we talked about it, and we decided, you know what? Let's – we the only franchise, the only really big franchise – well, we, we did the first Child's Play – um, and but other than that, the only one that we really dived into was when we covered both of the Fridays this last summer and we thought it'd been long enough and we didn't want to scream. We're still saving for probably last, like the last franchise we'll cover. And then Halloween that when we do break into it, we want to do around Halloween time and same with Texas. When we break into it, we want to do it around summertime because that movie is like distinctly summer feeling as well. Um, so that left us with Nightmare. And so we are covering 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, it's also our first Wes Craven movie that we are covering, which is a big deal for B and I because... Guys, I legit started crying when I was doing the research earlier. Like, oh, 
it hurts me still. Uh, yeah, we love Wes and we miss him every day and yeah. we talk about him all the time and we always like think about him on his birthday <laughs> and on his on his death day, unfortunately. Um, one of the, you know, widely considered one of the masters of horror for good reason. Um, so teenagers, I like you guys need to know, but the synopsis is... In case you don't know. Yeah, in case you, this is the first time you ever heard about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, teenagers in a small town are dropping like flies, apparently in the grip of a mass hysteria mm. causing their suicides. A cop's daughter, Nancy Thompson, traces the cause to child molester Fred Krueger, who was burned alive by angry parents many years before. Krueger has now come back in the dreams of his killer's children, claiming their lives as his revenge. Nancy and her boyfriend, Glenn, must devise a plan to lure the monster out of the realm of nightmares and into the real world. Is he confirmed a molester in this movie? He's so, not, right? He's a child yeah. abuser. Right? Yeah, he's a child murderer. Right. It's it's always complicated it's only because in the Well, in the original the script he was a child molester. Right. And then I guess there was a string of child molestation cases in California at the time and uh West decided to change the script to just make him a child murderer. Um in order to not feel like he was uh, associated with what was going on or trying to, like, glorify or sensationalize those crimes that were currently going on. So, it's a, in my mind, even in this movie, he is a child molester and a new nightmare. It's talked about um, that he has won. In the remake, it's, like, official. Like, this is what happens. Right. If you think about the plot of this film... It makes more sense of him being, like, an abuser than somebody murdering children. Right. Yeah. No, Only I mean, because if the parents are killing them, but then they have kids, did they have other kids? That's the only part that gets weird. Right. Yeah. No, I, I understand. Like, But, yes, he is the- not in this film. If you ignore, which we try and do when we talk about this, if you ignore... Any other films, any other backstory in this film, he is only talked about as being a child murderer. Right, yes. Um, released November 9th, 1984. Uh, four years before I was born. Um, and, yeah, a long time before I was born. Yeah, and like, you know, well into like the slasher craze, obviously. Yeah, so what, 35, 30, yeah, 35 years ago? Uh, 36 now. Yeah. Well, well, in November. In November, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. yeah, it was made for $1.8 million and it made $57 million. Uh, New, New Line Cinema was saved from bankruptcy by the success of the film, was jokingly nicknamed The House That Freddie Built. That is a nickname that stuck with them for a very, 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 very long time. Because um, Freddie kept building and building and building. Yeah. That house got bigger. Yeah, and, um... They, New Line would go on because of the success they've had with the Nightmare franchise. They were able to go on. I mean, New Line is eventually who put out the Lord of the Rings movies, I believe. Um, so uh, I, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, but I thought I read that in Slash of the Titans today, actually. But they went on to have a very... I don't. I think they're still making movies. Maybe not. Um, I think they they did Shudder. Oh, yeah, they did. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Uh, they so, produced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but wildly successful Bob Shea um there's I mean numerous documentaries you can find about it I, I would really suggest if you have like six hours to set outside checking out um 
Never Sleep Again, um, the doc on all of the Nightmare movies. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Fantastic. And it's insanely long, but you'll never know it when you're watching it. No, you fly through it. It's all, there's not, they're not, there's no wasted time. No. Like, everything is very interesting to learn about. Like, they go through, I think the first, they go through New Nightmare? Or, or yeah, they go through yeah, New Nightmare. That's how I know nightmare. about because yeah. Wes is interviewed saying like in New Nightmare he felt that that was his chance to sort of, sort of bring Freddy back to his original idea of who he was going to be without outside opinion. Yeah, um, yeah, so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, incredibly well received. Uh, yeah, ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. If you guys have been listening to the show for a long time, you know that like a fifty to sixty is considered really high for a slasher movie. Um, so 94 is incredible. Uh, the consensus is Wes Craven's intelligent premise combined with the horrifying visual appearance of Freddy Krueger still causes nightmares to this day. Yeah. Um, I pulled, you know, of course people have talked about this film for the last 35 years. So I pulled a couple things that people have said that I found interesting at the time. So um, Paul Antoncio, um from the Washington Post praised the film, stating that for such a low-budget movie, Nightmare on Elm Street is extraordinarily polished. The script is consistently witty. The camera work by cinematographer Jacques Heitkin is crisp and impressive. The review noted that the genre has built-in limitations, but Craven faces the challenges admirably. A Nightmare on Elm Street is halfway between an exploitation flick and classic surrealism. Um, and it also commented on Freddy Krueger calling him the most chilling figure in the genre since The Shape made his debut in Halloween. That gave me chills. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, I just think everything about that is so... Um, true even looking back but i can only imagine watching this film for the first time um being in when we watched it and we were live tweeting about it i was really trying to picture what it would be like watching this film in 84 without the freddy that we've been inundated with for in pop culture for so long and i think because of where the the franchise goes uh, people forget what he's like in this movie and fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so there's the movie's really suspenseful and it really, really plays with Freddy in a very similar way as, yeah, as Michael and yeah. Halloween. Um, and I love the mention of like surrealism because yeah. that is something that we get to obviously know Freddy as the movies go on as like he has these dream powers. So he has, he can do these things that like, are beyond the scope of like reality but that isn't seen in this movie very much he does certain things yes like when he cuts his body open and shows nancy like he's made of maggots and like green ooze when he cuts his fingers off um when he extends his arms in the alleyway when he just walk through the jail cell um bars but like it's nothing there's nothing super goofy um like he's he's don't get me wrong he is taunting her and he is playful about it but in a menacing way it's never outwardly goofy and he doesn't ever go to the point of like it's never like tongue-in-cheek or like i would even say once you get like i feel like there's a movie that the once you get to the third movie i think still has some of that but like the third movie is definitely where you see the tone change. Once he grabs her and sticks him, like sticks the her TV, in the TV yeah, and says, "Welcome scene. to primetime, bitch!" Like that's when you see Freddy has become a like 
a one-liner character, which is great. We all love that Freddy, too. But this Freddy is, like, much more menacing and deadly and dangerous. Um, and it is very different. And, like, that surrealism is, like, very different, too. Like, the little things he does. Like, you know, popping out behind the tree in her backyard is just even, like, that little, those little things. And then, like, um, you know, it's it's just very different, uh, and like you said, like you kind of forget sometimes when you you are used to who Pop Culture Freddy is, and then mm -hmm. you have to like you watch this, and you're like, oh yeah, like like you remember, but you don't really, and you're like, I remembered it was scary, I didn't really remember it being this scary. Well, yeah, and the whole surrealism thing too. It's like you were saying, it's a lot of that stuff. The whole dream thing ends up being more of a device to have Freddy do crazy things. Where in this one, Wes really plays with what I find helps make it so scary outside of Freddy is scary things that happen to you when you dream. Or like things that like you can't control because you're dreaming. So I think that part where she's running away from him and her feet start melting into mm -hmm. the stairs. Yeah. That's terrifying because that's what ha that's what happens in nightmares, right? Things out of our control. Like a reoccurring thing for me always is I need to call somebody. It's super important and I can't get the phone number right. So I type it in over and over and I just always miss one button. It's like one of those weird like dream things that no matter what, I can't dial the proper phone number in a dream. I've never been able to do same. I used to have nightmares about being at work and I'd be trying to ring up a customer and I just couldn't get it right because... I'd have to manually type in the amount and I'd always be off a number. So it's that like weird dream where those are the moments where you can kind of like become lucid and go, I'm dreaming because like I can't get this right. And those little things that happen where you're not sure like am I – what is a dream? Like what's happening? Those other things that are scary like really shine through in this film. Um, and then let's see. It And then sort of how it's viewed now, like looking back, um, Independent Film and Television Alliance selected it as one of the 30 most significant independent films. Um, I think that's I, super valid. And like we said in the documentary, it talks a lot about what this did. Um, I mean, with a minuscule budget, I mean, this is a super indie film, um, just like Halloween was. Um, and like what it built from that is pretty incredible. Um, and what it was able to do when you think about how much 1.8 million, like that insanely small budget, what they were able to do with just the effects for this film, um, just is mind blowing. Um, Bravo ranked it number 17 on the hundred scariest movie moments. Empire ranked it 162nd on their list of 500 greatest movies of all time, general movies. And the New York Times selected it as one of the best thousand movies ever made. Um, which that's like an excessively large movie or large number, but, um, but still it's just that acclaim is wild. Yeah. It's, it's not just heavily regarded in the horror world. No, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's very well regarded as an... Like, this is one of those movies I feel like you show your kids, like, when they're, like, 12, 13, just old enough to be able to watch. Especially, like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you go, all right, like, I think you're ready for this. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you introduce them to, like, you know, 
one of the greatest horror icons of all time. Yeah. And it's sort of like a rite of passage. Yeah. Um, the poster, I mean, B's going to have a lot to say about it. I know this artist does almost all of them. Um, mm-hmm. He did, like, through at least the first five. Um, it's an incredibly iconic poster. Um, like, obviously, if you, know, if you see it, you recognize it. It is one of the most, like recognized horror posters i'd say like anytime there's a horror fan in a movie this poster is definitely mm-hmm. on that wall um and uh i mean i love it for all the reasons that like we normally touch on like and b will touch on too but like we get an idea that is very very noticeably nancy on the cover um which i really enjoy we have his actual like weapon and like it's a very disturbing drawing of freddie but it is freddie so yeah, so, and I think this is one of those posters that it's illustrated, which it's from the 80s. That's very of the times. Um, it looks like a slasher movie from it. I think what this film does so well, and it carries over into their marketing, is there's a very iconic, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, the title credits in the beginning of the film are spectacular. We don't get a lot of those, but it's... Um, you know, the film starts and we have Freddy, like, making his gloves, but it's zoomed in and we have a black box all around it. And then we're starting to get the type of what the film is, like, you know, directed by Wes Craven, blah, blah, blah. And then the score, like, breaches, like, a crescendo. And then, bam, we get the logo of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Very deliberate, um, hand-designed. Um, this was, like, they obviously cared about the marketing um and presenting this it's like they could almost see what it was going to become before it was even really possible um and I think they do that here on the poster where it is very in line with what was happening with movie posters at the time but it's so true to the film and this like weird surrealist dream like like it is freddy but not really he looks like a monster and we just get like the color images of red and green and this sort of weird eyeballs poking out and then his glove which is what you know i mean the most important thing but it's not really his glove it's just like the knives without the leather over it um and then it's glimmering and then you know you see nancy like scared illustrated version of her of course it has to be like slightly sexualized like it doesn't look like she's wearing a top um which you know nancy never takes her clothes off in this movie because that no she does i mean you don't see it but like there's that scene where she's undressing in the bed and like you see her in her underwear and topless but it's her back yeah but not for sex right oh yeah yeah it follows very true to that trope is that nancy is a very like good virginal virginal character um and then west craven's at nightmare on elm street um and the typography below with the tagline if nancy doesn't wake up screaming she won't wake up at all um you know it's yeah it's great it's perfect for the time that it came out in um yeah and uh it's matthew joseph peak does the art and he's done the art for um like i said almost almost all of the illustrated any of the illustrated ones he did the art for um this movie has like a million taglines uh we'll run through them real quick the best ones are definitely the one on the poster if nancy doesn't wake up screaming she won't wake up at all um one two freddy's coming for you which would go on to become incredibly iconic um you won't be sleeping alone and then there's like a billion more um 
Don't read them right. They're pretty... They're something. So some of them are like those really long descriptive ones that I hate. Like, she is the only one who can stop it. And if she fails, no one survives. I'm like, that's too long. Um, the kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them in their dreams. Again, too long. Um, no, this one's my favorite. Watch this. Oh, yeah. Watch this! Exclamation point. Uh, obviously, like, this one was probably from, like, a trailer, but, uh, from Suspense Master Wes Craven, the director of The Hills Advised in the Last House on the Left, comes the new film of fantasy terror. That one is, the only reason, like, I like, I just like seeing that is you forget that Wes was already wildly successful by this point, mm-hmm. um, because Nightmare is such a big deal. Yeah. And but also. Last House on the Left was, oh, like, yeah. a it shocked the nation yeah. it was like one of those movies that like no one admitted to seeing but everyone wanted to yeah. see it um and like that's one of the movies like i just talked about with um henry that i've seen it and i will probably never watch it again because yeah. it is super disturbing mm-hmm. um and then hills of eyes was also very successful too which i always forget about because hella like, disturbing we grew up on the hills of eyes yeah. remake obviously by aja um but the original was very successful for the time and very disturbing um, and it was definitely interesting, too, to see Wes go in this direction because drastically different than either of those movies. Um, those movies are both what you would classify as exploitation mm-hmm. films, um, and this is not at all, but that's why that review is interesting, that it balances the line because there are parts of it that could be that way. Um, like, obviously, like, the gallons of blood that are used in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, this was very much, like, a very different Wes for the time. Um, and we would see him kind of bounce back and forth between those two areas for the rest of his career, uh, I, f- I feel like. Uh, and like once he got in line with this, I think he this is more of the direction he went, but we would see him go back to those with other movies. Like I feel like Shocker is very in line with this and obviously Scream, but also his other movies like The Serpent and the Rainbow um, and uh, The People Under the Stairs are, are much more political and different very different commentary and that's what hills of eyes and last house on the left were i really like this one midnight baseball bats and boogeyman that can't be real I, somebody I, fucking wrote that yeah. in don't fall asleep welcome to your nightmare come to freddy what's in a dream anyway dream a little nightmare of me meet the glove yeah i like yeah. that one it's like something from a nightmare sleep kills yeah a scream that wakes you up might be your own uh, and whatever you do, don't fall asleep, or you'll meet the terrifying Freddy. It the first part's good. Yeah, whatever, whatever you, you do, do, don't fall asleep. asleep. That's fine. That, and then dot dot dot, or you'll meet the terrifying Freddy. No, too much. And so many of these are those like generic like random generator like. Welcome lines. to your nightmare. Yeah, sleep kills. Oh, all right, cool. Um, seven fucking sequels. Yeah, and a remake. Yeah, so this came out in 84. We got Freddy's Revenge in 85, Dream Warriors in 87, Dream Master in 88, Dream Child in 89, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare in 91, Wes Craven's New Nightmare in 94, and then Freddy vs. Jason in 2003, and then the remake was in 2010. And I believe, uh, yeah, Dream Master is the most box office yes. biggest one and tell freddy vs jason which was like right a kajillion dollars yes and new nightmare at the time was the highest budget for any of them and the highest one the second highest acclaimed since the original with the lowest return mm-hmm. um and that's why freddy vs jason got made is because yeah. they were 
both series were seeing declining box office, um, and they finally decided to merge. But yeah, New Nightmare is the second best reviewed. Followed by Dream Warriors, I believe. Um, And also, what the fuck? A decade without Nightmare? That's a giant bummer, dude. Like and like, who knows when we're ever getting a new Friday movie? Because all the litigation crap with that. But Nightmare is just like out there, and no one wants to touch it since the remake. Well, and Wes. Yeah, I but mean, I, he wasn't involved in the remake either. Yeah, I mean, like producer only, but I don't think he had much to do. I mean, yeah, and like, but like the difference what, between he this died and in twenty fifteen. Yeah, so. and the difference between this and Stream is like they 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 moved away from Wes before, like. Yeah, West Warriors only... was a, based on a script that West worked on. Yeah. And that's the only other thing he did. Other yeah, than besides Nightmare. New Nightmare, yeah. Um, so like I think I think Nightmare on Elm Street doing poorly and then maybe West dying. They stayed away from a while. But I have seen people like I know Adam Egypt Mortimer who did Daniel Isn't Real really wants to take a shot at Freddy. And I've seen a couple other people like who are interested. And there's a big rumor right now that they're working on something to go to streaming. Which would be insane to go straight to streaming. I mean, right now that makes sense. Yeah, but, but oh this my is a god, highly bankable movie. I mean, the remake made a ton of money. It's very well reviewed, but or very poorly reviewed, but it made a bunch of money. Um, so I don't know why they wouldn't want to push this into theaters. Yeah, let's see. Oh yeah, it made a hundred and fifteen million dollars. Yeah, on thirty five, so it made yeah. almost four times. It did make four times its budget back. So very, very good money. Um, and like we know why Friday hasn't been made because it's yeah it's caught up and everybody's fighting over who yeah. owns the rights to it. Scream is existing in a TV show, but that's that's dead at the time. But now it is getting remade. Yeah, uh, by the, the guys who did Ready or Not. Yeah, Radio Silence, um, which I'm excited about because I love Ready or Not, and those people have shown that they know how to do a final girl. So that's a really important to me. I I'm just really want to know if our hesitantly cast is excited. Back. Yeah, I. Yeah, I I'll always am... be hesitantly excited because Wes is gone. But Kevin is for sure back. Is At he? least as an EP. Yeah. I don't know uh, if he's writing, but he's for sure back as a producer. He needs to write it. I my current vote is I want a full reboot. I don't want I I want I our... think I want one more. I think I do. I want to see what they can do. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean I wouldn't be upset, but a part of me. I mean, what does it matter? It's not like it's going to take away from the other films, but... I just missed it already. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But I think I think I would be happier with, like, a full-blown, like, new cast coming It'd be in. interesting. Or my second is I want, like, a Kirby-led one. Oh, I would love that, too. Um, well, sh- we shall see. Yeah. So the director and writer is Wes Craven, who we just talked about, famous for Last House on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, Scream franchise. He is literally one of the masters of horror. Like when people make their Mount Rushmore of horror movies, like Wes is almost always on there alongside like George Romero, Toby, uh, Tobe Hooper, and, um, or is it Toby? Toby Hooper and um, John Carpenter. So switch, you know, in and out some people, but like Wes is almost always on there. He is massively important for horror movies in every sense of the word. Um, he, he, it's weird to think because he did so much from the slasher genre. So obviously for people like B and I who love slasher movies, he is really, really important because he reinvented the genre twice, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also like, I mean, we, we love cursed. Um, I love my soul to take. Yeah. B loves my soul to take. Um, Red Eye is really good. Red Eye is really good. Yeah, and like it's a there, great there's a lot movie. of like really good stuff he did in the middle. I don't think anything quite reaches the peaks of uh, Nightmare and Scream, but he's just he did so much and like 
it's funny because when you think about slasher movies, at least in my head, like John Carpenter is like the grandfather of slasher movies, like what he did with Halloween. But, and then like Wes comes in later with this and it was like very different, but still very scary and very important to the slasher genre. And it's just weird to think that Wes existed so long before John Carpenter as a horror director, really. Um, mm-hmm. Like, John Carpenter did Christine, but that was it before Halloween. Well, no, and then even Cunningham from Friday the 13th, they did Last House on Left together. Yeah, so, like... So, they had been in it for a long time, because mm-hmm. what? What year's Last House? Oh, God. 70s, right? Yeah. It has to be. Maybe even 60s. 72. Yeah. So yeah. Early 70s. Um, yeah, so... I mean, he's he's a foundation of horror, and he always will be. Like, that's that's what's cool about like people like this is even when they like pass on and they're not making movies anymore. Like, we are going to always like feel less in movies because he has influenced so many people mm-hmm. with all the. It's like Hitchcock. He's done. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like there's yeah. always going to be like Hitchcockian films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, created suspense. Yeah. Um, and we're going to feel that with, you know, Romero and, you know, who's no longer with us and Craven and, you know, someday when Carpenter, hopefully not anytime soon, but goes, it's going to uh, be the same thing. Yeah. We're going to always, these directors and writers have always, um, you know, they've created something so substantial to not just the genre, but just the industry. That, that just doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Charles Bernstein did the score. Um, he, what the hell? His first score was for the 1969 Oscar-winning documentary Czechoslovakia 1968. Yeah. Um, and this is the only uh, film he did in this franchise. Yep. Uh, the budget was so low, it's exactly why it's so... It's a very iconic score. We know this. It's, you know, synonymous with Freddy. You hear it. You're like, okay, that's Nightmare. Um, It sounds like that because they had no money, um, which I find so fascinating because it's insanely successful. And it works so well. Yeah. What John was like, I'll just do it. Yeah. Like, (laughs) fuck. Yeah. No, exactly. And so look how well that works out, you know? Um, I love that. I I feel like sometimes limitations really um, foster some pretty amazing creativity uh-huh. um and i i mean people loved wes i obviously never knew him but anybody who's ever talked about him which is part of why he's like my favorite director is people adored him and i just even love this um the uh, charles said wes was easy to work with he gave me a lot of freedom but we could discuss ideas and approaches in many ways he was an ideal director to communicate with because he listened well and was open to all ideas like fuck I love him. Like and that's anytime Heather or or Robert talk about him too. Heather Ling, yeah. who plays Nancy, or Robert England, obviously plays Freddie. Like it's always just like the most glowing. Yeah, things. just adoration. Yeah, and and everyone from Scream, and like you know that because there were a lot of like there was a lot of behind the scene drama in Scream. Well, yeah, with yeah. like the actors yeah. and then like the writers and stuff. But like they always said like if Wes comes back, like, yeah, that was always the thing. Yeah. It was like if Wes is there, which is just yeah. Just, fucking love that guy yeah um and i found this part super interesting so the theme song you know one two freddy's coming for you wes wrote that that was and you know it's based off one two buckle your shoe three four i don't know something i, it's, I don't know something so, but it's about buckling your shoe because you know we all have buckles on our shoes i know five six is pick up sticks 
Yeah. That's all, yeah. Um, and so that was already written in, but there was no melody for it. Um, and Heather uh, Lingenkamp's boyfriend, which is now her husband, uh, is a musician, and he actually is the one who wrote the tune for it. Oh, cool. Yeah. That is cool. Um, and so, yeah, Bernstein integrated it into the soundtrack as he saw fit. Mm. Which I thought was very cool. Worked out. Um, Heather Lingenkamp is our final girl, one of the most well-regarded, beloved final girls of slasher history, um, Nancy Thompson. She uh, would come back for Nightmare 3, Dream Warriors, and also Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Um, she was on the TV show Just the Ten of Us, uh, but she was mostly just like... She, I mean, she has acted like on yeah. and off her whole career, but she is very, very much Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John Saxon, who we've gotten to talk about before, as he is also the lieutenant in Black Christmas. Um, he plays um, Nancy's father, uh, Donald Thompson. He also returns for Nightmare 3, Dream Warriors, and New Nightmare. Um, and then he was famous before this for Dynasty and Fantasy Island, both massive shows um, in the 70s and 80s. And then he was also in Enter the Dragon. Um, so... John and Robert were the two veteran actors coming into this who had like a lot under their belt before they signed on to this. Um, the rest were all rookies, right. all little babies. Yeah. Um, so Robert England as Fred, aka Freddy Krueger. Um, he has played Freddy in every single film except for the remake. Um, he has a hundred and sixty-three credits. Um, I mean, this man is just a monster he's yeah. he's like a trained um he's in theater. classically trained yeah, yeah so he's classically trained mm-hmm. um he i love it because this is like not a role that wes ever imagined to give to somebody like him he never expected to get it and it just it just ended up working out and mm-hmm. i mean literally the rest is history yeah he and, is this movie oh 100 percent, and he him and him and Heather make this movie so much of what it is, yeah. and like, it's incredible to see a veteran actor with like a, a brand new actress and like be able to do that. Um, brand new to movies, and then um, yeah, he's gone on to become obviously like a horror icon and staple. I mean, everyone knows who he is, and he shows up all over the place. Out of those 160 yeah. credits, a ton of them are going to be horror movies because mm-hmm. anyone who can get him will. Yes. I mean, he was in Urban Legend. Yeah. Um, he was in uh, Thousand and One Maniacs. He's been, I mean, he has cameos in so many horror movies mm-hmm. just like randomly because like you just, you get Robert in there, like people know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have the pleasure of meeting him briefly at Texas Frightmare last year. Um, and I will say that he is. Uh, it's just, it is very odd to see him as Robert England because he is the, like, smiliest, nicest dude in the entire world. And he is very, very much, much like how he is in New Nightmare, in New right? Nightmare. Yeah. yeah, just 100%, just, like, super nice and, like, almost, like, to the point, I mean, at one, the, I didn't meet him at this point, but there was a, he was having dinner with his family and fans kept coming up and I felt so bad because he was just trying to have dinner with his family and fans kept coming up, but he did not turn a single one of them away. Like, you could tell that he was just, like, he really wanted to have dinner, but, like, he still took every picture, signed everything, until finally, I think his publicist showed up and was like, okay, like, signing's tomorrow. But, like, he was not turning anyone away, you know, Um, and just, like, smiling the whole time. So, yep, love him, too. Yeah, he the best. Um, 
I talked to, I tweeted about this when on the live tweet, but it's always weird in the credits. It says, and introducing Johnny Depp. Now this is before 21 Jump Street or after? Or Johnny Brasco. No, Johnny Brasco is a movie. So I think 21 Jump Street I'll, is his I'll look it up. Yeah. The, I know this is his first film. Yes. Um, I don't know if 21 Jump Street was after this or not. Yeah. Um, let's um, see. Yeah. Johnny Depp plays her boyfriend, Glenn. Obviously, Johnny Depp's Johnny Depp. He's... Wait, he's, do we need to tell you? He's one you? of the most famous actors yeah. of our entire generation. So, um, Especially, like, for our age. Like, I mean, I've seen... I think the first 15 years of my life, I probably saw Johnny Depp in a couple movies a year. Yeah, he was honestly massively yeah. successful. Once Pirates hit No. 3, it was just like everything was Johnny yeah. Depp afterwards. Nuts. And then, like, for all of us, you know, like emo babies, we grew up with him because of Edward Scissorhands, yeah. too. So, Crybaby, oh my god. Oh, yeah, Crybaby's fantastic. Yeah, Nightmare 84. Yeah, all um, right. I wonder 21 Jump Street was until 87. Wow, okay, yeah. wow, really cool. Uh, Ronnie Blakely as Marge. That is Nancy's mom. Um, she is a lush. <laughs> Amanda yeah. Weiss is Christina. Uh, Tina Gray. She's still acting over 92 credits to her name. Um, she was in uh, the ID or the ID 2015. TNT's murder in the first Highlander. Um, she also shows up at a lot of cons. Like yeah. I know she is a staple for horror conventions. Um, yeah, uh, Nick Corey as Rod Lane, who plays Tina's kind of boyfriend in this, love interest, um, the man who we think is doing the killings at first, um, he is known for collateral damage, which apparently Ben told me is, was the first movie Arnold Schwarzenegger was ever in where he doesn't use a gun. Oh, weird. Yeah. But he also wanted to preface that where he wasn't 100% sure if that was true, so don't, like, take his word for it, but he remembers that being, like, what that film was famous for. So, you know, it's not a Schwarzenegger film. Haven't seen that one. Uh, We Were Soldiers and Along Came Polly. That's random. Yeah. Uh, And then Lynn Shea pops up as uh, Nancy's teacher, and Lynn Shea is also a horror icon. She did not become one until later in her life. Um, she is Bob Shea's sister, who is the owner um, and founder of New Line Cinema. Producer of this film. Yeah, and she has gone on to star. She's a big part of like James Wan and Blumhouse films. Um, she's been in most of the Insidious movies. Uh, I don't know. She pops up all over the place. Yeah, uh, I would say that's probably what she's most famous for. Yeah, Insidious for sure. Um, if people saw Insidious, they'd like recognize her. Yeah, which is... I love it because what Skeleton Key or whatever the lot. What is that one called? Oh, uh... the one that she like star stars in. Yeah, it's it is. Oh shit! No, I can't remember the la- the la- the lost key. Oh, Something about a key. Me. Yeah. Um, but. I love it because, I mean, she's a woman in her 70s starring. The last key. Yeah. The last key in a movie, which is just not something you see all the time. Um, I mean, men and women, you really don't see. Even people like Arnold, who are in their 70s, like, aren't getting that many starring roles anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially for a woman, it just really doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty pretty awesome. And she has become, like, super recognizable now, too. Like, she almost has that Robert England like, cameo thing. Like, mm-hmm. she'll pop up. She was in the new Grudge movie, actually. Uh, I, I remember that. Good to know. Uh, this is a supernatural slasher movie. Uh, it's also like a teen scream, for sure. Yeah. Uh, most of them are teen screams. Mm-hmm. You get away from it a little bit, I think. In Dream Child. Dream Child. I and... always forget Dream Master. Like, I for always four. I always forget what happens in that movie. It's one I've seen the least. Well, because the characters from four carry into five at the beginning, at least, I believe. Right? No, it's three carry into four. The people from Dream oh, Warriors. Oh, right, right, right. 
I'm going to rewatch the yeah. series. Um, but And then also New Nightmare is very much not Teen Scream, because um, no. it's about Heather mm-hmm. as an adult. Um, okay, our killer is Freddy Krueger, or in this movie, he's very much just referred to as Fred, Fred Krueger. which is weird. Yeah, it's only Freddy in the rhyme, like the, yeah. the nursery rhyme. Otherwise, it's always Fred. Yeah. Um, the Springwood slasher, a serial killer of children who had been burned to death by his victim's parents after evading prison. Uh, while his body dies, his spirit lives on in dreams of a group of teenagers and pre-adolescents living on Elm Street, whom he preys on by entering their dreams and killing them, and is fueled by the town's residents' memory and fear of him. In the original script, he was a child molester, like we mentioned, but it was changed. He was rewritten as a child molester in the remake with Jackie Earl Haley. Um, he wears the red and green striped sweater, the brown, uh, like the dirty brown, like kind of fedora, but it's not a fedora. Um, his glove obviously is very iconic, and he has burns instead of a mask. Um, he wanted Craven wanted Freddy to be able to talk. Uh, it's interesting that both of his killers are very talkative. Mm-hmm. Um, he must find that scary. Right, and that was very different, too, for the time. Yeah. Because you have to think, at this point, the two most iconic slasher killers were Jason and Michael, and neither Silent. of them speak. Um, so Freddy is very, very different than them. I also think Freddy is so different because, and I, I tweeted about this, I mean, he has, oh, his iconic weapon, obviously, his glove with knives. Um, but Freddy's very different, and this is why I think Freddy Wes, this changed slashers and it created like two very very different type of slasher movies whereas michael and jason are unstoppable forces they're just like moving right like they kind of remind me in a little bit of like on it follows like in the sense of like they're always just walking right they have a path they have a direction and a goal and they're just going you know and they just kill whoever gets in their path mm-hmm. freddie plays games and he mm-hmm. played like the idea of cat and mouse, which becomes a slasher trope, Freddy really is the person that made that. Mm-hmm. Because, and again, like, I think Wes once again reinvented that with Scream later on. But, like, watching this again, like, Freddy taunts Nancy the whole movie. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, he taunts. Especially by going after her friends. Right. And so, like, and it's. And teasing them to kind of tease her. Yes. And, like, so, you know, at first, like, he's popping up in all their dreams because he's trying, you know, he's, like, building strength essentially and like being right. remembered but like once nancy has established herself as a formidable foe he fucks with her and like you know she drink she literally goes and sees he he kills rod in front of her and he could have killed her but he kills rod in front of her to show off you know same thing with glenn like he knows that they're both asleep and instead of going for nancy he like goes for glenn yeah um and so like i think like freddie like watching this because i do think there's and that's what you've seen now in slasher movies. There's two very different types of slashers. You either have your like strong, silent killer, and and they're they're usually the ones that are they stalk. Freddy does not. He plays he plays games. It's very much cat and mouse, like a hundred percent. And I definitely like think that's why this movie, when you think about it, because slashers, this is like almost midway through the 80s which is the heyday of the slasher period mm-hmm. but it yeah com- all of i mean a majority of all those films like friday and um terror train and happy birthday to me and like prom night all those movies 80 81 yeah they'd already existed they'd already happened by the time the third friday or uh, nightmare movie came out friday was on its seventh yeah like that's how far along you know yeah. like for, nightmare was behind the curve yeah um the behind the curve and so I think that's what Wes did to set it. It's it's different, and like 
it's very different than the movies that existed, and it set slashers in two very different directions for the rest of time, uh, where we would have either these like very like silent predators or these very maniacal like like game players. Um, yeah, and that's why I think like Freddy became an icon. You know, like like when you think about it, Freddy is like. Jason is iconic because of the mask. It's his design that makes him iconic. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like, Jason realistically is not that different than Michael, except for the sense that the kills are much more outlandish, um, and the movies are a little more, like, debauchery. But, like, realistically, they're very, they're just quiet killers, you know? Um, but, like, it's his mask really sets him aside, and also being one of the first. But, like, Freddy is so different because of like him talking and it became like he became a freaking cultural phenomenon in mm -hmm. the 80s like i mean he was in he hosted mtv he had a hotline he had a video game he, he was in music videos yeah he was in music videos like the fresh prince of bel-air like or um will smith when he was still fresh prince did a song called nightmare on my street like based oh, on this I movie love that song. Yeah. yeah so like it, it was just insane like i mean west created arguably one of the to me like top two most iconic slashers of all time like slasher killers um we have a very small body count actually in this mm -hmm. movie um I, I don't know like uh i don't think we need to go beat by beat no. you guys can follow our live tweet or like go back to it it's on our keep screaming um on the screaming cast twitter and it, yeah cast, and i also tweeted about it um the hashtag was at ksnoes which is nightmare on elm street um <laughs> yeah it looks like ks knows yeah ks knows uh more what i want to like talk about is just like really how impactful every kill was yeah and so, like, it's Wes knew what to, like, how to, even though the body count was small. And, again, this is midway through the 80s. Like, we're already getting through movies with Jason at incredibly high body counts. And, like, other slasher movies with incredibly high body counts. And, like, what Wes did is did a lot with a little, I think. And it's a lot of the in-between moments that really make this movie super terrifying. Yeah, and I don't think I even realized it until like it really sat down and analyzed like how much this film and in consequence the scream franchise has like played such an influence on my personal taste because exactly what like I feel like this film's almost my pillar on what I judge other films for my personal taste as a slasher film where I want it to be, like, I have criteria that I want it to meet to, like, appeal to my tastes, and it's because of this film. And so much of that has to do with the fact that, like, I like the characters, you get to know them, like, that's important to me. That I find a slasher more enjoyable when I relate to the characters or I want to root for them. And I feel like they are real and exist in a real place. And I feel like Wes has really created that in Springwood where I go, okay, like, these kids feel real. Like, these feel like real scenarios. We don't have to see them. Like, we get way more of that in actually Scream because it spends less time on 
the cat and mouse suspense. This movie is predominantly focused on the suspense of this ominous killer, whatever that killer is. Is it this killer in the dreams? Is that real? Is he possessing people in real life? Like, we don't know what that means when we're first watching this, but it's you're on edge the entire time because you don't know what is real in the film and what's a dream. You don't know how Freddy works, what his powers are, what he's capable of, how to beat him. Like, I mean, it's how do you beat somebody in your dream? You know, you were right there with Nancy, and I think that's what makes this movie so impactful is you're so connected to them. And even though we only have four deaths, we spend so much time building up to each of those that the payoff's really high. Mm-hmm. And the deaths are all... So, like, there's two things I think that work really well. Well, there's a lot of things that work really well in this movie. Obviously, like, the score and everything and, like, the direction. But, like, I think the pacing is really good. Because even mm-hmm. though we have four deaths, we everyone is built up and we, like, are learning every character we're spending time with we're learning more about in between and like we're learning much more about nancy obviously is our final girl but we're still like learning about like glenn and rod as characters in between and like the like so there and it's the little things in between that make it so even though freddie's not killing people he's there and he's it's scary and he's a threat and it's it's like terrifying so like Tina's death scene is the first one in the movie. And, like, uh, you know, like, we... Obviously, we know it's not Rod. Like, everyone thinks it's Rod. We know it's not Rod because, like, Tina's literally, like, convulsing on the ceiling, being dragged across the ceiling, getting slashed on the ceiling. Like, it's very, like... It's this weird blend, and, like, Wes does this a couple times in the movie, where it's, like, it's sensual in nature because, like, they're both, like, naked and are, like, near naked and they've just had sex and they're, like, sweating and, like, you know, Rod's, like, in his underwear and, and Tina just has, like, a shirt and her underwear on. But, like, like this very violent thing is happening and it's a really brutal death scene and, like, it's very, like, this scene lasts a while. She's being dragged mm-hmm. across the wall. Rod is literally watching this woman that he has, like maybe not love but like has deep feelings for getting murdered in front of him and he can't do anything about it and and then it's the in-betweens that make it so that even though we're not getting a lot of actual death scenes like to me the best scene in this movie is when nancy falls asleep in a classroom Mm-hmm. And we slowly slip into the dream realm and we are coming, we're, we're realizing things are off just as fast as Nancy is. Mm-hmm. And when she's in the dream and like, you know, the students up the front of the class and he was reading, but now he's like whispering and he's like just staring at her. And then we see Tina's dead body in the plastic bag and, and it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. It's so scary. And then she goes out and we just see the body now on the ground being dragged by an invisible like the, force yeah, off screen. legs lift up and it yeah. gets dragged off. And, and it's just like, the leaves fuck. that like we see, the leaves that we've seen on her street like around her. She runs after her, runs into the hall monitor that is like very cheekily dressed as Freddy, you know, and then she like, it's Freddy's voice from her body with the glove, but Nancy doesn't know who Freddy is yet. So she doesn't realize like, holy shit, this is Freddy, you know, like it's, there's so much in like these in-between moments that I think just make this movie really, really scary, genuinely scary. Because like that scene and then the next scene, 
that really like gets to me is when Nancy's in the bathtub. It's an incredibly mm-hmm. iconic scene. She's, you know, and again, Wes plays with this kind of sensuality. It's never perverse. It's never like for the male gaze. We don't see Nancy naked, but she's in the bathtub and her legs are spread apart and Freddie's glove comes up right in the center, you know, mm-hmm. like very, that's obviously an allusion to something. And, you know, the glove comes up and kind of reaches for her and she wakes up and it goes back down before he drags her into this like, surreal ethereal like endless you know lake essentially and and then she crawls out of the tub but it's like those in-between moments and then again like another incredibly famous scene is she's laying in bed and we get freddie stretching out of her wall yeah like there's all these scenes where like we are really getting to know who freddie is as a killer with like no killing actually with happening. no killing and him barely even existing in yeah. these moments like we finally we as don't the really movie goes see on, him yeah, yeah as the movie finally goes on she gets into the boiler room and like yeah. we finally meet freddie head on but like there's so much time getting to just like kind of see who he is it's yeah. almost like that jaws effect of like you don't really know which makes it scarier yeah um and i think those are the moments and then when the kills do happen like Rod, you know, like she, he kills Rod right in front of her. He strangles him and it makes it look like it's a suicide. You know, Tina made it, it makes it look like it was Rod. And then I think the first one that we get where it's really like Freddie has decided like he's going, you know, no, no holds barred is when he kills Glenn and drags him to the bed and like it's torrential blood rain Mm -hmm. and his parents just walk in on it. And Mm -hmm. like, and by the time that is literally like maybe 20 minutes before the movie's over. Mm-hmm. Like 15, 20 minutes. And by the time that hits, it is so impactful because we've had these two deaths that were really grisly, but like really still kind of grounded. Like, yeah, Tina's floating around, but she's like being slashed. It's not super gratuitous. It's it's hard to watch because it's so violent. But like, you know, Rod, Rod's really intimate. Right. Like Rod's right there. Yeah. and But then Glenn, it's just like now we're going outrageous. And, you know, like. I think it's very shocking by the time it hits. I honestly think so. Our last death is actually Marge, which is after Nancy has dragged Freddy into the real realm and like he he's lit on like he he lights he's lit on fire and he like kind of drags Marge to hell or to the dream world or whatever. Um, like that to me is the least impactful death in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more impactful because of Nancy yeah. more than anything. But like. Marge isn't really a super likable character either. No, if anything, it's more like what kind of guilt does Nancy have over, like, letting this happen? Yeah. Um, Yeah, those are our only four kills um, in the the entire movie, you know? Um, And then, like, we have the kind of stinger elusive ending of, like, is Nancy dreaming? Did she escape? Like, obviously we learn later in Dream Warriors that she lived. But, like, you know, the end of the movie is Rod and Tina and her mom are all still there. Yeah. And Glenn, and she gets in the car. And then the car, it's a Cadillac. We looked it up. Um, yeah. The hood comes up and pops down, and we see it has the Freddy colors on it, obviously. And then her mom gets drugged through the window yeah. of the, the door. Of the door, yeah. Um. So, you know, like... It just, I think it just does, like, it's just so different than anything we had seen up to that point, obviously. And then, like, even now, I think it still does things that, like, a lot of people are afraid to do. Um, And it does them better than a lot of things ever did them. It plays a lot with the dream logic. 
I think it still keeps it really grounded, though, where the other movies, like, and I love the whole franchise, but, like, the movies, they start to go off the deep end with, with things, like, you know, and they know well, that. Well, yeah, like I said, it's so much going, like, well, fuck, what can we do? Like, he can do anything. Yeah, he's basically omnipotent. Yeah, so. where in this film, it's not about that. It's not about what Freddy can do. It's, like, how can we blur the lines between reality and a dream world? Right. Not just with Freddy, but with other things, like all the body horror that's in this and like all the, you know, visions that she sees of Tina with the like intestines at her feet and the serpent like coming out of her mouth. Like that's all like all that body horror stuff is scary. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that it's still like, is this really happening? Is Nancy dreaming this? Is she asleep right now or is she awake? It's all that sort of fear of the unknown. And also, like, it's just so, like, you like you, you hit it perfectly where, like, later they went, what can we do with this? Because he has dream powers, so he can do anything. Yeah. Wes was like, what can we explain? What can we get away with without having to explain it? Because it's a dream. Mm-hmm. And, like, he uses it to create terror mm-hmm. and instead of to create extravagant situations. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing, like, that crazy about, you know, the scene where Nancy's being dragged through the hallway. But it's really fucking scary and like you can explain it away why don't these other people see her why is this happening it's a dream and like that's how you explain it it's really that easy and like i just think like they get so far away from that as the movies go on like even i so we're we are covering of um freddy's revenge freddy's revenge next and so i watched it today i got like halfway through before i got distracted um but, like, that movie starts with, and Freddy is, like, a little more malicious still in that movie, but that movie starts with, like, this really intense scene with, like, a school bus driving off the road, and then it's, like, this big canyon, and, like, there's all, like, the canyon yeah. falls apart, and it's, like, it's still very, it's, it's, like, even that, five minutes of the movie, I was like, oh, this is way more extreme than mm-hmm. anything in the original Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, our final girl is Nancy, who, like I said, has gone on to become, like, when you ask who are the most iconic final girls, like, it, her name is usually top three. It's, like, usually her, Lori, and Sid. Like, honestly. Um, and the list may vary, but, like, she is definitely, will always be one of the most iconic and important final girls ever. Um, and I think it is because we, we, we see that classic arc of the final, like, Nancy, unlike a lot of other final girls, doesn't have, like, a whole lot of, like, tragic backstory. Like, obviously her parents were involved in this tragedy, so she's dragged into it. And her mom is drunk, and her dad obviously loves her, but he's not home. Like, Mm -hmm. they're divorced. She lives with her mom. So she has that, but, like, you know, other than that, she's affluent. She's attractive. She, like, you know, like... It seems like she's one of the popular girls with the popular friends, you know? And so... But what Nancy does differently is, like, Nancy doesn't fuck around with this shit. Like, as soon as it starts happening, she's like, how are we going to beat this? Like, she's at the library. She's figuring out who Fred Krueger is. And then as soon as she's figured it out, like, she's like, how do I beat him? She literally gets a book on booby traps and booby traps her entire house. Mm -hmm. And she creates the entire plan. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not... Glenn is useless in this movie. Yeah, he's not... Yeah. If anything, like, I love it. Like, right before he dies, she's like, all right, like, I need you to help me. Like, I'm going to fall asleep, and I need you to wake me up. Just stay awake and wake me up. 
she that's all she's asking, right? Like she is not even trusting him to like really be involved with anything because she has her like booby trap book and he's like, oh, what you reading that for? Like he's obviously not taking this seriously. And she's like, fuck no, like I'm gonna like, there's something severely going wrong. But again, it goes back to the whole point that you were saying. It's like he was popping up into their dreams to just sort of get the the talking happening to get the murmurs of going like, oh yeah, I saw a guy like that. I remember I had a dream about that. Like nothing scary enough or important enough that they're really going to be like, oh, I had the craziest nightmare. But more so when Nancy mentions him, they're like, oh yeah, that kind of sounds like a guy I had a dream about. That's weird. You know, giving him, which we learn, that's like how being talked about is like how he gains his powers is being remembered. And that's how he's able to access their dreams. And so for her, like, he's just, you know, he's after her. Uh They're just, you know, extra bodies for him. They're just people that she cares about that he can fuck with to fuck with her. And so, I mean, she has to take it into her own hands. And this plays with a trope that we don't actually talk about a lot, but it's super apparent in this film and in most slashers. But the adults are useless trope. Oh, yes. I mean, they, the cop, like adult slash cops, like that's a very common trope of slasher movies is that especially teen screams is like, well, you're fucked. Like you have, you cannot rely on the people that you would normally rely on, which are your parents yeah. and the authorities. You have to be the one to figure it out. Yeah. And Nancy does like yeah. in her fucking PJs. Yeah. Her little silk PJs with the flower embroidery on yeah. it. Like I fucking love it. Yeah, I know. And like, there's a lot of like, I love that they give her gray hair in this movie. Like yeah. they gray her hair because she's so stressed about everything. She's trying to stay awake and she's, so stressed about saving these people that she cares about and like yeah i just love and like there's something about heather like she really she she plays she plays vulnerable but never weak mm-hmm. um and you know like she's very strong the whole and resolute the entire movie through like even in her moments of scared she's not like she's not useless like she's never to a point where she like backs down like everything she's apprehensive of moments but she's never it's like freddie is actually natural fear yeah like freddie's never enough to actually scare her away like she notices something's wrong or something's something's like scary but she's ready to face all these challenges head on um and like her like her whole arc is one of the most impressive just going from the like the little like daddy's girl who her dad is a cop so like Mm -hmm. she you know like she has felt protected her whole life um in this small town like idyllic town to being this like total badass that like destroys like kills a serial killer dream like you know nightmare god whatever like I, i don't know i just i think nancy is really like she deserves every bit of credit she gets and obviously a huge part of that goes to heather's like performance uh what's your favorite kill um my favorite kill is tina's for sure um i just think there's something i mean i'm always partial to the first kill but i also just think there's something super terrifying about how um vulnerable of a position she's in she was already terrified of him that's the whole reason why nancy and glenn were staying over 
Um, and then whatever her weird relationship with is with Rod. Like, yeah, I think it's like a cultural time difference thing because, you know, she makes jokes about like, like they're kind of flirty, but then she's like, oh my God, like go away. Like, it seems like she truly is annoyed by him. And then he shows up at the house and she wants him not to be there, but then she goes and has sex with him. Like, I don't know. They just have a weird relationship, whatever that is. Um, but you know, they just get done having sex. Like she's terrified from the situation she had. She's sort of indulging in like a form of relief and what makes her feel better, which is being around her friends and, you know, I mean, having sex and then she literally gets slashed in her fucking underwear in bed next to like somebody she cares about. And to be broad in that situation, like all of that is just so terrifying. And then it's just unexpected. Like that's not typically, that's not how Jason kills. That's not how Michael kills. She literally flies to the fucking ceiling and blood pours out of her and she flies across the room. That's terrifying. And it's shocking. And it's so impactful and sets the tone for the rest of the kills, which are all, I think, spec- I mean, the last one's kind of meh, but yeah. um, spectacular. And uh, yeah, I just love it so much. It's just super raw and shocking and vulnerable and yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, but I love, I love me some good gallons of blood and mm-hmm. uh, especially in this movie because mm-hmm. it's at this point we at this point we think we know what freddie is right like or like how he kills and stuff so when we get johnny depp sucked into this like hole in his bed and then just a waterfall of blood like like shining hallway yeah blood. yeah like i just i love that i just think it's so impactful when his parents like walk in on it and it's mm-hmm. so it's like you said it's just like Seeing Tina kill is so unexpected because the slashers at the era were not used to seeing anything like supernatural really like that. But then like when we see Glenn, it's like to me it's almost like for like I said, it's Freddie going like I'm gonna show you what I can really do. Like yeah, I fucked your friends up and like I choked this guy, I or I strangled this guy and I like I stabbed this girl. But like this is what I can really do. Um, and you don't even see like Freddie in that scene. It's no. just sucked into the bed and yeah. then the blood. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's my favorite. Um, talk about its position in the horror landscape. I think we have this whole show. It's Guys, it's kind of important. Yeah, it's um, widely regarded as one of the best horror movies ever made. It's widely regarded as one of the most important slasher movies ever made and one of the best slasher movies ever made. I mean, Freddy is a cultural icon. Um, you know, Wes is one of the most important masters of horror to have ever existed. Um, I mean, you know people who've never seen the nightmare on elm street movie know who freddy krueger is they recognize the glove they recognize the character um yeah i think like it cannot be understated how important this movie like you know like we've covered the remake of hall or the reboot of halloween slash sequel slash remake whatever you want to call it like halloween 2018 and then we've covered movies like black christmas and my bloody valentine which are important like blueprint wise for the slasher genre but like 
and and we've done like the only thing we've done that as close to as importantly like significant as this is Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't even get to the hockey mask in that movie in those right. movies yet. So like, oh. so for as of right now, this is easily the most important, the most important slasher movie yeah. we've covered, um, just as far as like what it's gone on and its impact on film and horror and slashers. Like, because I don't want to say something like Black Christmas isn't important or My Bloody Valentine, because those movies very much shaped the genre that we know. But, like, it's, I mean, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know, we rank all of our movies at the end of every episode, which is, uh, you can find our list at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. This is our 60th movie. Um, and, <laughs> this, um, yeah, I mean, what are we looking at here? Yeah, so it's hard. Like it's hard. So what's hard is we have to. What's this is why I I look at it and it's hard for me because the movies we have at the top. So it's my bloody Valentine, Black Christmas, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and then Friday the Thirteenth Part One, um, and and then Halloween twenty eighteen. And, and then I know what you did, which is like as a paint by number. Slasher right. as you can get. Yeah, and The Burning. I mean, these yeah. are all very, like, important movies, cultural yeah. milestones for the genre. Like, And it's hard because I look, and, like, the reasons we have My Bloody Valentine and Black Christmas at the top is because they do adhere to a lot of the things we look for. They also created that mm-hmm. those tropes, and they're a blueprint for those. And, like, Nightmare is so different because it kind of, in the middle of the craze, reinvented the genre and yeah. moved it in a different direction. And like I said, so it, it like it has a lot of the slasher tropes, but it also moves in a very different direction mm-hmm. than like a lot of the slasher tropes. I will say though, I think not I think, but definitely even more so. So part of the reason why we ranked Friday the thirteenth part two above Friday the thirteenth is one, Jason. Right. Introducing your iconic killer who's mm-hmm. much more powerful mm-hmm. than Mrs. Voorhees. Right. Um, so that was reason one and reason two was Jenny was more of a final girl in that film and kind of helped cement that. And overall the film was like, Hey, let's take Friday the 13th and like genuinely make it better at what we tried to do. And it did, which is not common for a sequel. Right. Um, which is why it's ranked higher. Um, this film, I would say more so than anything and i mean we haven't talked about the original halloween yet but like nancy's the final girl blueprint yeah yes and and i completely agree with you there and then the other thing i would go to say like black christmas actually lacks an antagonist for the most of the part Mm -hmm. of the movie um but it's still so good and what it did for slashers and the importance of the craft of like how you make a slasher movie is why it's so high. And, and you how I... you craft specifically a group of young women mm-hmm. being stalked and right. killed. And then My Bloody Valentine, like we've said, is like we've even talked about how My Bloody Valentine basically did what Friday did and what Black Christmas did and said, but how do you make it better? Mm-hmm. Like how do you use these? You You take this formula and then you perfect it. And I think nightmare takes the formula tweaks it so it's better and then also creates something brand new in doing so Mm -hmm. and so 
I think it has to be number one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, like, I really do. Like, when, when you look, like you said, Nancy is, uh, and, like, people will argue with me, like, and we'll get there eventually. Like, I actually think Nancy is more of an archetype of the final girl than Lori in Halloween oh, 1. 100% she is. Yeah. And, like, Lori's gets there. Yeah. But not in the first film. Right. And so, and, like, yeah. She's much more your classic victim who stays alive. Right than proactive final role that like i said that didn't really exist before nancy this version of the final girl she is she's what creates the the what i'd like to call the real final girl right the, the trope yeah you're like aaron from your next mm-hmm. tree from happy death mm-hmm. day Lorian subsequent sequels yeah like in the later halloween yeah hundred percent um, yeah uh, julian i know what you did yeah. like yeah, like that fighting warrior final girl. Like, yeah, like this is happening to me for normally a, you know, and then it has those those tropes. Like something related to your family that happened in the past is now causing you to be killed or stalked or your friends by a killer. Mm-hmm. Exactly what happens in this movie, mm-hmm. but done a little bit more uniquely. Um, You know, the group of young teens, the you know, uh, don't have sex because that makes you bad. And, you know, like I was saying, the trope of like adults being useless and you having to figure it out for yourself, the killer coming back at the end, like all of those sort of like really great slasher tropes that we love. But then like, exactly like you said, Wes takes it in a slightly different direction. Cause it's, it's 84. Yeah. What's he going to, I mean, he could very easily just make the same thing, do it really well. So obviously he's very talented. He could have made his version of Friday. I mean, fuck, he knew Cunningham. Like they definitely he like could have went in that direction and he didn't. And not only that is we have a killer from the very first film that is insanely iconic. He's yep. the, you know, I have the outfit, the iconic weapon, mm-hmm. the um, the one liners, the one liners, yeah. like everything that makes Fred Krueger who he is, and then will later become, is already established in this film. It doesn't take four films like in Friday for him to become who he's gonna become. Right. Um, it doesn't take two like in Halloween where the shape is really the shape, and then we really don't know anything about Michael until the second film, which doesn't detract by how scary he is but what that franchise if you look into the future and the future of slashers in general if you look at what halloween becomes that's solely based on the backstory that they give michael in later movies right where this film the backstory they give freddie just plays off of what was already built in the first one they're not recreating a character they're not inventing new stuff it's established in the first movie and then we just find out more about him that's yeah. it. It's he's here. That's also not very common. We see it in My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. Which is why it's ranked you know, number one. It's ranked number one. <laughs> but you know, that's another thing that was lacking from a lot of these is like really having this iconic killer without four or five movies to get him there. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Um yeah, so Nightmare on Elm Street is going to be our new number one. Uh <sighs> 
Uh, my buddy Valentine enjoyed a very long stay up there. Uh, two years and one month. Yeah, two years and a month. My buddy Valentine was up there at number one, um, and now kicked down at number two. But like you know, I don't think it's too bad to be dethroned by a nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so yeah, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is our new number one, and we will be covering uh, Nightmare on Elm Street two, Freddy's Revenge, uh, on the next episode. Um, and then we'll probably jump away from Nightmare because we don't want to dive in. We don't want to, like, exhaust them all that yeah, fast. Yeah, we will be doing, um, the... I'm going to sneeze. Or not. Man, that was cruel. That's the worst. Oh, fudge. I'm going to be thinking about that sneeze for a while. Um, the 2008 April Fool's Day. Right, yes, yes, yes. Remake. Yes. We did decide on that. Yeah, yeah, so we'll be doing that after. So, Freddy's Revenge, then, um, but yeah, for April Fool's Day with Scout Taylor Compton in it. Yes. Um, cool. So, there we go. That is our love letter to Nightmare on <laughs> Right? Yeah. I mean, that's part <laughs> that's of the reason gushing. we held off. Yeah. Like, a lot of these movies, and, like, we know we... Going into this, like, there's a lot that we knew we were going to love because we'd seen them, My Bloody Valentine and Black Christmas and The Fridays, and, like, we watched them and rediscover and, like, even fall in love with them more. And then part of the exciting thing is seeing movies like Iced and mm-hmm. um, and Intruder and, like, movies we'd never seen and, like, loving those movies, too, and just realizing how fun they are. Um, but, like, a lot of the movies, I mean, we've said it before, I'll say it again, like, we're staying away from Halloween and Scream for as long as we can because, like, we know they're going to rank really high and, like... We don't know exactly how high, but we have an idea, and it's like we kind of want to toy with the middle pieces yeah. a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, because there. there's so much. I know. I like was talking on Twitter with um, one of our very awesome listeners, Classic Material, and I was like, "Oh, like you know, hope you liked the Candyman episode. Like, I think that's a good movie. It's just not a movie for me." And like you know, hope, like, Ryan and I don't really agree on it. He's like, oh, I think that's fun. Like, some, it's nice when you guys, like, disagree disagree or don't like something. Um, Because that can be fun, too. And so that's another thing is, like, we don't want to get on here and, like, let's have us talk about, like, our favorite movies and only say nice things. I mean, that's fun, too. But I think we try and, and go into things that... We haven't seen in a while, or we've never seen, or yeah, like I, I was really hesitant to do um, Candyman because I didn't like it the first time I saw it, and I wasn't sure how he's gonna feel about it. Um, and it's always kind of scary when you say negative things about a beloved film, <laughs> and so like you know that's just that's how we end up. So yeah, it's we want to talk about you know all of the big films and all of the slashers that everybody knows, but we also want to have some balance because if this podcast has taught us anything, it's that there's a lot that goes into all of these movies and there's a lot of them. Um, it's a big subgenre, and those movies, like they deserve to be seen and talked about, um, for the most part. And, um, like there will be exceptions. Um, we can go down a few that you don't need to watch, um, for a variety of reasons, but like, that makes me feel really happy that, you know, people might be watching, you know, a a movie that they'd never seen before. And like all the boys love Mandy Lane. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of people have been talking about that recently. I'm like, good. That movie's awesome and deserves to be seen and deserves to be talked about. And, it's an unknown slasher, so yep. no. Yeah, um, no, I totally agree with all those sentiments, and that's again like we've stayed away from like a lot of the. I mean, we 
we also get excited so that we can only hold off as long as we can. You know, like obviously we've covered a lot of the big stuff too, but um, before we cover the really big stuff, we want to hit like that middle ground stuff. So uh, two weeks, we'll be back with uh, Freddy's Revenge. And then two weeks after that, April Fool's Day. And we'll probably, by, by Freddy's Revenge, we'll know what's yeah. after April Fool's Day. We're going to try to keep you guys two ahead for all of them. So, yeah. Um, so we can keep ourselves ahead too. So until then, keep screaming.